0: Welcome back to Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camerain. I'm Jack Llewellyn. Thanks for joining me. So, at the end of last week's episode, I gave you a preview of where we were going to go this week, and I lied. Uh, a few technical things happened, so we're not going to go there. But more importantly, this week was the conclusion of the trial in New York federal court in Brooklyn, New York, the trial of Hanaro Garcia Luna and I thought because it's been getting a lot of press, we probably should talk about it a little bit. And then the more I started looking at it, I think there's some some interesting observations and things to talk about. So let's do that today. Uh, And and I think it'll it'll be interesting. And as I say, it's definitely timely. So what about the Hanaro Garcia Luna trial? I want to talk about what happened what didn't happen, and also kind of what it means, Uh, and I'm going to do it in a little bit of a legal sort of way. A couple of general observations. Number one, I don't care what the media says. This wasn't all that startling. Most of the information had already been out there. Uh, Some of the witnesses had already testified in El Chapo's trial. So in a lot of respects, I was, uh, I don't want to say disappointed, but just not, not overly surprised at what came out. The one thing that is interesting is who didn't testify, and we'll get into that a little bit. And then I want to talk about what this says about other prosecutions. We're going to look both to the past and then uh, to the future. So for those of you who don't know, who the hell is Genaro García Luna. García Luna was a very, very uh, instrumental person in Mexican politics and particularly Mexican police and the anti-drug efforts of several administrations. As a a little bit of background on him, um, he was an engineer by trade in 1989, he started working for the uh, Centro de Investigación y Seguridad Nacional. How's that for Spanish pronunciation? The Center for National Security and Investigation. Uh, there, he was responsible for counterintelligence and terrorism. In about 1998, he was the coordinator general for intelligence of the Preventive Federal Police. In 2000, he was named the Director of Planning and Operation for the Federal Judicial Police. And it is said, at least widely reported, that in this role, he really um, was an aggressive manager and did a lot of new things. He he kind of engineered or re-engineered the... Um, the entire concept for the agency with um, new administration concepts, um, different operations, and also was very big on information systems, uh, computers, different types of, of information to, um, to track, store, utilize information and materials and, and things of that nature. Uh, In 2001, he was designated the founder and the director general of the Agencia Federal Federal de Investigación, the Federal Investigation Agency. Uh, From 2006 to 2012, he was the Secretary of Public Security of Mexico in that role. He was the face of anti-drug efforts, anti-cartel efforts in Mexico. In April 2011, he became president of the International Drug Enforcement Conference where um, the World Summit was held in Mexico. So you can see, long history in law enforcement, long history in anti-drug efforts. He was arrested in... Dallas, Texas, in December of 2019, and was charged in an indictment that um, was unsealed shortly thereafter in Brooklyn, where he was charged with three counts of cocaine trafficking conspiracy, one count of making false statements. And in the press release from the Department of Justice the United States Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of New York announcing this indictment. It says, in part, Garcia Luna stands accused of taking millions of dollars in bribes from El Chapo Guzman's Sinaloa cartel while he controlled Mexico's federal police force and was responsible for ensuring public safety in Mexico. Um amongst the charges and and claims, it is said that the indictment alleges that from two thousand one to two thousand twelve while occupying high ranking law enforcement positions in the Mexican government, Garcia Luna received millions of dollars in bribes from the Sinaloa cartel in exchange for f- providing protection for its drug trafficking activities. In exchange for the payment of these bribes, the Sinaloa cartel obtained safe passage for its drug shipments, sensitive law enforcement inf- information about investigations into the cartel, and information about rival drug cartels, thereby facilitating the importation of multi-ton quantities of cocaine and other drugs into the United States. Okay? So those are the charges. The trial started a couple weeks ago in, uh, again, in Brooklyn, New York. The case actually went um, a lot quicker than most people thought it was going to go. Um, also, had fewer witnesses than were expected. Closing arguments were last Wednesday. The jury started deliberating on Thursday and was still out at the end of Friday. So, the prosecution's case is basically what I just read to you from the indictment and the press release about the indictment. Um, what's interesting, I think, is the way it was the way it was prosecuted and the way it was postured. So, in her closing argument, the U.S or the assistant U.S. attorney prosecuting the case, um, who has a a name that I'm not going to try to butcher, but she said that the case really comes down to uh, the fact that the Sinaloa cartel simply could not have built a global cocaine empire without Mr. Garcia Luna's complicity. Could not have built a global cocaine empire without his complicity. That's the case in in general, right? Um, and and we'll talk about how that plays into things. The case presented by the United States against Garcia Luna revolved and centered almost exclusively, on the testimony of nine cooperating witnesses, almost all of whom were convicted cartel members, almost all of whom received substantial benefits for testifying. Those benefits primarily consist of reduced jail time. In the United States. The AUSA. Prosecuting the case. In closing arguments. Talked about that. And she said. What you hear frequently. From prosecutors. In these types of cases. She said. I'm not asking you to like them. These people have done horrible things. They're criminals. But it takes one to know one. Okay. And. Drug trials all over you hear that argument and we'll talk about the the counter argument in a moment so i want to go through and talk about some of the more prominent um, witnesses and a little bit of what they said so the first prosecution was sergio el grande villarreal barragan and el grande um, had a number of interesting things to talk about he um Amongst other things, he said that he had at one point in uh uh two thousand eight had described or had disguised himself, sorry, as a police officer and that he was very prominent in the coordination, um the activities surrounding the capture of Jesus El Rey Zambada, El Mayo's brother, um I'm not going to get into it today, but lots of discussion about what El Rey's position in the cartel was vis-a-vis El Mayo. Not sure that it really matters uh, for our purposes, but he said that he had, again, disguised himself as a police officer and essentially coordinated the capture of El Rey. He also said that drug traffickers were so embedded in the security forces that they had access to law enforcement uniforms, patrol cars, and IDs. He also said that they received classified information, that um, seized drugs were shared out, that um, they employed, appointed, and removed police commanders in exchange for multi-million dollar bribes. Um, He also said, this is a quote from um, one of the news articles, he said, the cartel grew with the help of the government. He was arrested in 2010, extradited in uh, 2012, and he was released a year ago after a shortened sentence. All right, somebody else who testified fairly interestingly was Harold El Conejo Um He said that uh, he had, oops, I might've got, um, I, I made a little bit of a mistake here. Um, so this one actually goes to the next person. So, um, but he said, amongst other things, he said he was able to, Uh, enter colombia without going through immigration and that police escorted him to the door of the airplane he said it was beautiful now on cross-examination he said he talked about you know what a bad guy he was so he said um that he had his wife's lover a colombian policeman killed he detailed how bosses thought of doing the same to uh garcia luna and that sending his head to the government so that everyone would see that they are not to be trifled with. Um, I'm wondering if trifled with is a direct quote. Uh, He confessed that he had earned between 300 and 400 million dollars during his criminal career. I wish again, I had a little bit more context to that. Um, He said that he had uh, pleaded guilty in the United States to trafficking more than a million kilos of cocaine. A million kilos of cocaine. Um, he has been on parole since 2019, notwithstanding his guilty plea to trafficking more than a million kilos of cocaine. Um. All right, the next guy we want to talk about is Oscar El Lobo Nava Valencia, who at one time was a leader or the leader of the Millennial Cartel. He says that amongst other things, he paid personally. He personally delivered $3 million to Garcia Luna at a car wash in Guadalajara. On cross-examination, he again was confronted about his activities. He said, you're responsible for the deaths of at least 100 people. Isn't that correct? The news report says the kappa was silent for a few seconds. I have had to make bad decisions in my life. Yes, he replied. You're calling this making bad decisions? The counsel retorted. Um the news article, this one's from the New York Times, said confronted with his legacy of violence, Nava Valencia said that if he was there, it was to tell the truth. No matter how raw it was and no matter how uncomfortable it made him. And he's quoted as saying, It is not easy to sit here and tell it like it is. Um, Edgar Vettia was a former Mexican state attorney general, claimed to be um, one of El Chapo's hired hands, and he testified that he personally um, had been involved in a conversation with El Chapo where El Chapo talked about a $5 million bribe paid to uh, Garcia Luna, Israel Avila, said uh, during testimony that federal police agents themselves helped unload drug shipments that landed at Mexico City's International Airport and in other locations across the country. Uh, He said they even helped the traffickers hide. And he said, told a story. There's different press reports that, that mention this. But he told a story about they were on the radio in a police car listening to the police talking about uh searching for the certain traffickers and and how they were laughing because they were actually dressed like police officers in police cars and listening to the the real police um he was asked on direct examination as you can imagine if you've got bad witnesses sometimes you just get the testimony out right uh he was asked by another uh AUSA this one Aaron Reed uh he says you know or she asked him did you torture people his response was several times she said more than 10 and he said probably he also had a lot of testimony that i thought was pretty interesting about kind of the cartel brutality inner cartel brutality He says, um, and these are quotes uh, from some news reports. They tortured me because they thought I was working with the U.S. government. Uh, He says, I had to keep working for them because if not, they were going to kill me. Not only me, but my family as well. The, uh, the press report says the loyalty test left him with cut marks on his face, burns all over his body and broken bones, but he had no option but to remain loyal. The, um, the testimony of El Rey Zambada was interesting, but, but really we'd already heard almost all of it from the uh, El Chapo trial but he testified extensively about having personally delivered bribes to Garcia Luna, that the cartel paid the former Mexican uh, security chief millions of dollars, millions of dollars. Um, He talked about a time where he had delivered um, and, and personally packed millions of dollars into two sports bags that were given to, Uh, Garcia Luna at a uh, French restaurant in Mexico City right after he became the country's public security secretary. Again, lots of information. Then there were some testimonies um, that several people talked about. One that came up a few different times was that uh, Beltran Leyva uh, had abducted Garcia Luna on a road outside Cuernavaca just to show him that they could do it, that they could get to him no matter what. One of the things that you see a lot in these types of trials is the discussion of the opulence, the extravagance, the bizarre things that people had um so some of the witnesses talked about the fact that they had private zoos they talked about their cars they talked about airpoints and trips and mistresses all to show the you know the grand scheme the millions of dollars involved and again that comes up all the time one thing that came up right at the end of the case were some discussions, some sidebar discussions, and some proffered testimony that w- was reported in, in, in a few different places that um, implicated the AMLO administration or AMLO himself. And it centered more on multi-million dollar contributions to Um, organizations headed by or political groups affiliated with AMLO. Um, And there were concerns raised by the prosecution that um, said, you know, geez, you're talking about the sitting president of Mexico. Is this really appropriate? And, you know, to me, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but that's again where The prosecution has to be so very careful about these types of cases and these types of witnesses because you put them on the stand, you're asking a jury to believe them, but you may not necessarily want them to say everything, um, and you may not necessarily believe everything they're saying. All right, so that was the prosecution's case. Now, having been in this position before, and I'm going to talk about that in a Again, uh, in a second, what does the defense do? Right, you've had several weeks of this testimony of you know the extravagance of the cartel, the violence of the cartel, direct links between Garcia Luna and the cartels. You even have the brother of El Mayo, the head of the cartel, right? What do you do? In this case, they did a couple of things. Number one, um, they did not put Garcia Luna on the the stand. Um, Clearly, that is his right. Um, And I think we can all speculate as to why that is. You know, if you put him on the stand... If you put his credibility, if you put his integrity at issue, lots and lots and lots of other things can come up, right? The cross-examination could be brutal. The rebuttal could be brutal. So they didn't put him on the stand. He did, on the other hand, put Garcia Luna's wife, Linda Cristina Pereira, um, on the stand. And one of the things that had come up both before the trial and during the trial was Garcia Luna, again, was a, an engineer and a bureaucrat. And yet he had a lot of money and, um, his wife got on the stand to basically insist. Um, and, and I think the, the press reports, Um, assigned dubious credibility to this, but uh, she said, look, the family's wealth is a result of hard work and it is not from illegal bribes. On closing arguments, Garcia Luna's lead lawyer, Cesar de Castro, said, look, um, the government's case is based on testimony alone and that there is a, quote, shocking lack of evidence. He said, there is no evidence of money, no photos, no emails, no text messages. All of this is based on the testimonies of murderers, kidnappers, and traffickers. He went on and said, They're asking you to convict a man solely on the words of some of the most notorious and ruthless criminals in the history of the world. Now, if you read some of the press reports, there clearly are some elements of the government's case or the testimony on behalf of the government that some observers have had issues with. Um and, and I find it interesting what has been reported kind of in that dubious light. Uh, amongst the things that uh, come out are, you know, that are hard to believe, according to the media, are a member of the federal cabinet meeting with several crime bosses, um, receiving suitcases stuffed with over a million dollars in dirty money, and things of that nature, um, and I find it fascinating because, you know, this this harkens directly back to the Camarena case and others, and, and I'll talk about that in just a second. So th- that was the trial, the closing arguments. As I say, Uh, The jury will come back uh, sometime this week, almost undoubtedly. Uh, I'm not, you know, forecasting or anything. I wasn't in the courtroom all the time. But I am pretty certain that you're going to see a conviction come out early this week. Um, And that's not really very surprising. So how does this trial... How does this testimony? Um, what does it really say in general? Um, and I want to look back to the Camarena case, and then I want to look forward for a minute. So, as I've mentioned before, I was a baby lawyer on the Ruben Zunor Arce defense team. I was a summer associate during the 1990 case or trial. And I was uh, a real lawyer, but again, a baby lawyer in the 1992 case, though I feel like I was actively involved. And then I was very involved in the, uh, the subsequent appeals. One of the hardest things to do is to prove that something didn't happen, right? So, again, you know, you've got... Garcia Luna on trial you've got El Rey Zambada saying hey you know i went to a restaurant in mexico city i gave him money what's the response it didn't happen assume for the sake of argument that it didn't happen what what do you do you know what do you say sometimes it's incredibly difficult to prove that something didn't happen if people are going to say it, right? So in Ruben Zuno's case, for example, you're talking about 1985. And during some of the time, 84, 85, he was in Moscota. Phone records were minimal at best. You know, there wasn't social media. He wasn't putting on Facebook where he was all the time. It was really difficult. You know, and then you get people like Godoy and Lopez or Cervantes before them who were just like the witnesses in the Garcia Luna case, just like El Lobo or, you know, El Grande, El Conejo. Everybody's got, you know, the L names, but. They're going to get up and they're going to say things that sound true in part because they were there for enough things that there's an air of credibility to it. But how do you prove it didn't happen? How do you prove everything didn't happen? It becomes very difficult. And I remember in particular the 1990 case. They spent days, they'd be in the government, days Talking about all the money that Rafael Caracantero had, you know, testimony after testimony about gold-pointed AK-47s and jets and et cetera. And then you talk about just how awful they were, you know, all the things they did. Then you put on testimony about Cameron's torture, you know, which was brutal and horrible, and, you know, beyond anything that most of us can even comprehend. And then they turn to you and say, okay, now put on a defense. It's really hard. Now, I'm not saying that to make, you know, for any sympathy, okay? You know, um, regardless of what anybody might think about Ruben Zuno, everybody who's listened to this knows my feelings about that case, about the things that, Hector Boreas and Manny Medrano have said. But I think it's important to understand when we start looking at other trials, when we look at the Garcia Luna trial, maybe we look at all the evidence and we go, yep, he is guilty. But what about the next one? What about the one after that? What about the one after that? I just think it's very important that we think actively that we realize the incredible benefit or the incredible advantage that the government has. They've got cartel people in prisons in the United States who would love to get reduced sentences, who would love to be able to stay in the U.S., who would love to be able to have their families come to the U.S. And maybe they all get on the stand and tell the truth. But maybe they don't. You know, I go back again to the Zuno case and reflect back on Cervantes testifying in the 1990 trial, and then Cervantes being found to be incredible having recanted, then unrecanted, then re-recanted. And then mystically, magically, two new witnesses come up. Two people who want to get out of Mexico, who get paid. And all of a sudden, they testify about things that no one had ever heard about. And then years later, they testify or they talk about for money, I, I think, to places like you know Amazon Prime to you know in the last arc and they testify or talk again about things that nobody had ever mentioned before aren't we entitled to have some skepticism and isn't it important that we do Again, I'm all for convicting the right people. El Chapo got convicted. Great. He's in Supermax just down the road from me. And by the way, I'm going to go down in a couple weeks and uh, shoot some videos. So look for that on YouTube. Um, But great. Put him there. Let him stay there. Let him stay there forever. Rafael Caro Cantero is in jail. Love it. Bring him to the United States. Put him on trial. But if you put him on trial for the murder of Agent Camarena, make sure that the government proves its case. That's not too much to ask, is it? I have developed, in the last couple of years, great friendships with former and current law enforcement officials. And I have a profound respect for what they do. Profound. The things that they did, the sacrifices they made and continue to make. Is amazing. I've worked over my career with many, many good, great, wonderful federal prosecutors. They do an amazing job, oftentimes under very difficult circumstances. But we still have that presumption. Of innocence, right? And I think that we need to keep that in mind. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying the government needs to do it the right way. And when they do, and when they do, putting the cartel leaders, putting those who worked for the cartel leaders putting those who were bribed by the cartel leaders in prison in the United States for a long time is a very good thing. I just don't want us to ever look back and think that as a society, we forgot about those presumptions of innocence that we take steps to be sure that the government proves its case. And yes, if you're wondering, I'm going back and I'm thinking about Ruben Zuno Arce. And I'm thinking about the fact that in my mind, the government never, ever, ever proved a case against Ruben Zuno. I don't give a damn what Manny Medrano says. And Ruben Zulu died in federal custody for a crime that I don't think was proven. And I'm sure there are people listening to this who frankly don't care. There were other things Ruben might have done. Maybe he was a a bad guy in people's minds and got what he deserved. But I worry about other folks getting caught up in you know the bloodlust or uh, that's uh, that's the wrong word and I apologize I, I worry about other people getting caught up in our quest both in this country in Mexico to curb the influence of the cartels. To bring some accountability to the cartels, to punish those who have inflicted so much damage on our country and in Mexico. I think about innocent people getting caught up in that process. I think about their families and their loved ones. And I just want to be sure that the system works. The Garcia Luna case you know what? It seems to have worked in my mind. I find it hard to believe that he uh, is, is completely innocent. But again, think about what his lawyer said. There is no evidence. There's no solid evidence of money, photos, emails, or text messages, he said. There's no testimony from forensic accountants who showed the flow of money and, aha, this is why he's got a big house. That's a dangerous precedent. Maybe it's the only thing the government can do. But as we look forward, shouldn't we make sure that the government is proving their cases? All right. I apologize. That was a little bit me on a soapbox. Um, let me know what you think, right? Um, I, again, my friends in, in law enforcement, I, I I respect you more than you know. Um, and if you think I'm completely off base, let me know. If you want to have a rebuttal, come on anytime. Same goes for uh, Mr. Medrano anytime you're welcome here you're welcome on my youtube channel whatever um but i think this is important i really do it, it's something that's very personal to me but i think is very profound in our system it's something that sets us apart right and 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 that's important that's important to all of us that's important to Me to you to our children, our grandchildren. It's going to be it. it, It's who we are. All right. Going to make a concerted effort to have the promised discussion about Doctor Umberto Machain next week. Keep in mind, um, I've got the YouTube channel. Same same name: Cartels, conspiracies, and Camarena. We have news updates. We talk about some different things. We show some pictures uh, that aren't on the podcast. And um, also, you know, don't forget uh, about the newsletter and my book. That's it for today. Again, thank you for bearing uh, with me and letting me kind of rant and rave a little bit here. And uh, have a great week, everyone. And we will talk to you next week on Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena.